We love you, Lord. And we pray now is that you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word, that we would respond to your word. Give us the courage, give us the faith, give us the enablement, Lord, to obey you with all the things that, God, you want to say to us today. So we give this time to you as well and pray that you'd speak into our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. As you see above my head, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 14 through 18. We're going to kind of finish up a little bit of a section here uh, as we move into the Christmas season. Let me just say that next Sunday, over the course of the Sundays in December, we're going to do a kind of a break and a pause from the book of Philippians. We've been walking through that on Sundays. We're going to be focusing on... Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, right, in this season. Next, seat, next Sunday, we kick off the Christmas season officially here at Central, so it's going to be a special time. We've got a couple events planned. We'll talk about them later in the service, but I want to encourage you to look at Philippians chapter 2 one more time with me. Before we get to that text, I was walking across the street this morning. There is an oak tree right across the right in front of the family center. It has these little acorns that drop. Picked one up this morning, reminded me of just what we're going to look at this morning. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that is a seed that has been planted into our life. Now, an acorn is not a seed. It's actually the fruit of an oak tree. But inside the acorn, there are seeds. When you plant that acorn, there is, hypothetically speaking, with the right conditions, an oak tree that will start to grow and start to plant. Now, I'm reminded of what Peter says to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us of what the gospel is, right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now, here's the thing, church. We have this gospel that's been implanted into our life, right? We have this truth that's been implanted into our life. There, I could tell you, I could take you to places around the world where there are people who have never even heard the name Jesus before. People who have never even heard the gospel before. People even in our town who have heard the name Jesus, but they don't have any understanding of what the gospel is yet till we take it to them. But you see, what in your heart and in my heart, what we have, the benefit and the blessing is that we have this gospel that's been implanted into our life, this word that has changed and transformed our life, right? It ought to transform and change our lives. It ought to bring about a transformation. In other words, listen, the Bible, if anything else, should be something that's transforming my life. It's something that is bringing me into this, not just personal relationship with God, but it's, it's transforming me. It's, it's making me into more like my Lord Jesus Christ, right? That my character is changing, the words are changing, my attitude is changing, the things that I value in life are changing. That is what the gospel should be doing in my life. It should be transforming me into something new, into something that is greater, into something that is God's will, into something that is, that is God's work that he wants to do in my life. It is transforming, it should and ought to be molding me and shaping me into the perfect man, which is Jesus Christ if I allow it to, if I allow the gospel to shape me, if I allow the gospel to change me. Now, here's what's happening up to this point in Philippians. We've walked through this up until this point. Paul has been writing to this church in Philippi. He's praising them. He's thanking them for what God has done in them and what God is doing through them, right? 
He says, listen, church, your life has been blessed, right? I praise God from a distance in chapter one for what God's done in your life, what he's doing in your life. Then he begins to go into this personal testimony about his own life. And he says, listen, I'm in prison. But you know what? God is still working in me and through me. The gospel is going forth from me and from others. It continues to spread because nothing can stop the gospel, like, right? I praise God even in the midst of my suffering, even in the midst of me being in prison for what God is doing in me. And then he says, and he looks to, to the Philippians and he writes to them and he says, listen, I want you to continue on. I want the gospel to continue to work in your life and through your life. Back in chapter one, verse 27, we looked at this and at the end of this passage we're gonna look at today is the conclusion of a passage that begins in chapter one, verse 27. And so look in your Bibles at what it says. You with me, by the way? Say amen if you're with me. All right, awesome, you got your Bibles open. And so chapter one, verse 27 says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what he's saying here is that, listen, your life ought to raise up. You, the, the character, the affections of your heart, how you live your life ought to measure up to the gospel, right? This isn't something that gets us across the finish line in order to, make us to, in order to go to heaven. It is something that's molding and shaping and transforming us, right? And so there is an intentionality apart about, about that. And so Paul says in verse 27, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come or see you or am absent, here's your reputation, here's your testimony, here's what you're known for. He says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel because of Jesus has changed them because they are following him. They are to live a certain way. And this is the nature of what it means to be saved. When you and I are saved from our sins, when we are rescued out of hell and we are given the promise of eternal life, then my life then ought to have this reflection. It ought to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. I move from, listen, I move from blending into my culture, blending into my community, blending into the way everybody else thinks and lives and talks and speaks, to standing out, to looking different, to appearing, and from, from being blending in, from blending into appearing. It's like this. When I look at a dark sky at night, you ever go out in the country, maybe you've been hunting, you're in a deer stand, you go out there early in the morning. And you look up at that dark sky and you're walking and you've got your rifle over your shoulder and you're walking and you look up at that dark sky and there might be this one star that stands out. Maybe you're out in West Texas. Maybe you're down in South Texas. Maybe you're just out in the middle of nowhere. And you look up at that dark sky and you see that one light. It's that one star. Captures your attention, doesn't it? It is captivating in, in many respects. It holds your attention, so to speak. It stands out. So what Paul says here in the text that we're going to look at this morning is, listen, a life saved is a life that stands out. This is what he says to the church. A life that has been saved is a life that's going to stand out. It's a life that's going to showcase to the world around you just what Jesus Christ has done. Because your life is, listen, meant to capture the attention of others as they see Jesus Christ in you. Let me say that again. The way in which we are to live our lives is that our life is to capture the attention of people around you, whether it's your family member, whether it's the perfect stranger on the street, maybe it's the person you works for you, maybe it's the person you work for, maybe it's your best friend, maybe it's somebody around you, but that life that God has given you, this seed that has been planted in your life, this saved life is to capture the attention of those who are around you so that they might see Jesus Christ in you. 
And this is what Paul is saying here to the church. I want you to look with me at the text. I'm going to begin reading here, beginning in verse 12. We looked at 12 and 13 last week. We're going to look all the way through 18 today, but let me begin reading in verse 12. This is what he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There it is. The key word in the text there is salvation. Now watch what happens. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now here's the text we're going to look at this morning and unpack. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all watch verse 18 likewise you also should be glad and rejoice in me Verse 12 and 13, as we see there, Paul says to live for God because God is alive in them. He tells them, as we looked at last week, live for the Lord, live for God, live for Christ because Christ is alive in you. And then it leads to this one imperative or command there in verse 12 and verse 13. It flows into verse 13, right? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how do you do that? You do that by way of the power of God. That's what verse 13 is saying. Look at your Bibles again. Verse 13 says, you, God wants you to work out of your life what God has already worked into your life. Christ is already living in you, therefore work it out because the power of God is at work in you. But here at the beginning of verse 14, as we're gonna look here to the end of these verses, we see in what way we are to work out our salvation. And here it is, by standing out. He wants us to showcase the gospel. He wants us to showcase Jesus in the world that we live in, in this crooked and perverse generation. Here we do it two ways. We do it in two ways. We do it in what we reflect. We stand out in what we pursue. We stand out in what we reflect. We stand out in what we pursue. A life saved is a life that stands out. And so how do we reflect this life that Jesus has called us to. Well, look at verse 14 again. He says, holding, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be poured out, or proud that rather, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul noticed a problem here in the church. They were a people that struggled with conflict at times. They struggled with disunity at times. He praised them. They were an incredible church. God did incredible work in this church. But from a distance, this was their reputation. From a distance, they had some struggles. We have no struggles, right? No church has struggles. No church has conflict, right? It's okay to laugh. It's all right. Every church struggles with disunity. Every church struggles with conflict. I grew up in the ministry. Every church I've ever been a part of struggled with conflict and disunity. Oh, because we're people. Because we all have our own differences. Because we have our own uh, personalities and backgrounds and ways that we think church should be. Or even beyond that, just personality differences and challenges in our relationships with each other. Paul recognized this in the church. He's not condemning the church. He's not coming down on the church in Philippi. He loved them so much. But he loved them enough to tell them the truth and he loved them enough to speak truth into their life and remind them of something that was important in their life. 
this salvation in verse 13, uh, to verse 12, that flowed into what it meant to stand out. He says, stand out in what you reflect. Verse 14, have this right attitude in reflecting, here it is, godliness or righteousness in your life. Stand out with the right attitude, with the right mindset in how you per- perceive, or I'm sorry, how you portray godliness, how you portray a life of Christ, right? Now notice what he says in verse 14 and 15. Notice that it isn't part of your life. It is all of your life. It's not part of your life. We're really good as Christians to compartmentalize the Christian faith, aren't we? I mean, we have our, like our Sunday morning thing, and then we have our Monday morning person and the Tuesday morning person. Maybe you're someone who is different here at church than you are at work. Maybe you are someone who is different here in your student, in the student ministry, in your youth group, in our youth group, but then you go to school and you're like, oh, I want to fit in, so I want to be like the other kids, right? The other students, right? Maybe you're different as a couple here when you interact with each other, and then you can go and be different with other couples in our community. Now, what Paul says is here to the Philippian church is he wants every part of your life. He cannot be divided. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, that is not a compartmentalized life. It is all of your life. So notice what Paul is saying in verse 14. He says here, do all things without grumbling and questioning. He's going to draw the distinction between the rest of the way the world thinks and the way we're called to live and think. We might be good at compartmentalizing, but God calls us to all of our life, every part of our life. And so he says, and he shows us here in verse 14, to stop complaining, he says to the church. He says, do all things without grumbling and questioning. Stop complaining, right? We're not sure about what they were complaining about. We don't know what they were complaining, whether they were complaining about money or their own personal preferences or this person, that person. They just didn't get along with each other. But Paul is just addressing them in verse 14. And he's saying, listen, there is this problem that you don't see, by the way, in Jesus Christ. You ever see Jesus complain about something? You ever see Jesus grumble about something? Pursuing godliness is incompatible with complaining. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Grumbling, whispering complaints, right? Talking in secret about someone, making some sort of a negative comment about someone behind their back. We never do that, do we? Or maybe disputing, which is what he's saying in verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or questioning, which is disputing. Another word for that is disputing, to question or argue or raise doubts on a regular basis. This is what they were not to be known for. It was a picture, what Paul's painting here, of what it was like to be the Israelite. Remember what happened to the Israelites when they come out of Egypt? Now, he's not calling them Israelites here. He's not pointing out to them and saying, you're just like them, but it is the same spirit, if you will, of grumbling and complaining. Over in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, these first few verses here, this is what it says. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. This is God's people as they come out of the promised land. I'm sorry, out of Egypt, and they're coming into the promised land. And the people wept that night. Look at this. It says, and all the people of Israel, what grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, would that we all had, we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? 
And then he says, why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? You can just hear them all crying, right? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt to be whipped? Then he says, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is where the Israelites were. And what Paul's saying here, he's not calling them Israelites, but is the spirit of complaining in the church here in Philippi. They struggled with this issue. Paul says that does not reflect the power of the gospel church. Doesn't reflect the power of the gospel. It is antithetical to the gospel. How? Because it does not reflect what Paul has already said about the mind of Christ back up in chapter two, verse three. Notice that, look at your Bibles and what it says about the mind of Christ. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It is not a life that is trusting. It is certainly not a life as we come out of a week of thanksgiving. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18 says, be thankful when? In all circumstances. It is certainly not a life that is thanking the Lord in every circumstance when we find ourselves complaining and grumbling there in verse 14. It's antithetical to the gospel. It is antithetical to what Paul's already just said in verse 12 when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The seed of the gospel is changing us. It is pushing these things out of our life. And why is this so important? Because this is for the purpose of standing out. I mean, look at the verses again in verse 14 and 15. He says, and he uses these three words, and they're very important words for us. And he says there in verse 15, that you may be what? Blameless. That you may be innocent. Children of God. To be blameless. No one can find a fault in you. You right your wrongs. That's what it means to be blameless. Well, to be innocent. To be pure. Not to mix words. Not to one side of our mouth we praise and one side of our mouth we curse. One side of our mouth we praise the Lord Jesus And then we go back behind and we start to curse his people. No, that's antithetical to the gospel. That's anti-gospel, right? And he's saying, listen, you are to reflect the power of the gospel by standing out. Why? Because you are children of God. And you have this public testimony. Jesus Christ has transformed your life. He's changed your life. He's made you different. He's made you new. You have a different perspective on life. Your words now have changed. You are beginning to stand out, Paul says to the church. So stand out. And how you reflect this gospel, the righteousness and the godliness in which Jesus Christ has poured into your life. And by the way, there is a benefit here. When you stand out by reflecting godliness, and when I stand out by reflecting God, we all do this collectively. Well, there is a benefit internally in the church, isn't there? Because the more you're reflecting godliness and righteousness, that's going to impact and influence my life. The more I am striving for godliness and righteousness in my life, that's going to have an impact on you. The more you do that and we do this collectively, it's going to have a collective impact on our community around us. Because what's happening in our lives is we are beginning to shine as stars in our community, right? We stand out to what? We stand out to the world. We live in a corrupt, corrupted and a crooked generation, don't we? Do I have to convince you all that? <laughs> Do I have to convince you of that in our community, in our county, in our city, in our world? No, we see that and we know that. 
In fact, that distinction was long communicated to us, to the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5 says this, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. God is drawing that distinction between God's people and the pagan world around them. No, we know we live in a crooked and perverse generation. You look around you, what we see is a spiritually dark and dead world at times. We don't see the light. Paul says a church where there is a consistent conflict and arguing and backstabbing and all of those kinds of things has lost its distinctfulness in a crooked and perverse world. It's grown dysfunctional. It looks just like any other organization, but it doesn't stand out. That's not what we're called to be. Paul says that's not gospel Focus. That's not a gospel-centered church. That's not a spirit-filled church. It blends in, but it doesn't stand out. Paul's saying, listen, you've been saved. A life that's been saved is a life should stand out. And the way you stand out is in what you reflect, right? I mean, notice what you begin to showcase. We're marked by the appearing as a light that is shining in a dark world, we are marked by how we stand out. This platform that God uses and brings us into, whether I'm a coworker or I'm a boss or I run a small business or I'm a retiree in a community or I'm traveling or I'm in our community and I'm engaged in my community and I'm in part of all kinds of social clubs and I'm here and here and here. I am standing out. I am, God's given me this platform in order to showcase the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ to others. It was something that the world does not have, but that we have, this light that he's poured into our life. How do you showcase? Well, look at, the, look at your Bibles again. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the world of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now check this out in verse 16, looking, holding fast rather to the word of life. This is how you stand out. So that in the day of Christ Jesus, I'm proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You stand out by way of your godliness and your righteousness, your changed life. The word of God, but if, if it's for anything, it is to change us. It's not just a book, it is to transform us. We are to reflect the character of Christ. We are to consistently grow in our reflection of the character of Christ wherever we go. And so we stand out, we showcase the gospel by way of our godliness, but we also stand firm in the word of God. Do you notice that? That's how we stand out, holding fast to the word of life. Listen, we're called not to compromise the truth, but to share the truth in love. So we speak into our culture, we speak into our family because we love our family, we tell them the truth. We speak into our culture because we love our culture enough that we wanna speak the truth into their life that some would give their life to Jesus Christ and come back because we understand what this life is all about. We understand the pathway that leads to life and the pathway that leads to death. And so we speak the truth in love. We hold fast as a congregation to what the word of God says. We are committed as a church to obey the word of God, but we're also committed to proclaim the word of God, right? Verse 16, he's saying, hold fast to the word of life. It is reflecting the light as a reflection of this gospel that now lives inside of us. So we showcase it by our godliness. We showcase it by way in which we hold and stand firm to God's word, but we showcase it, listen church, in how we have this hope for the future. Oh, Paul, look at what Paul says. If anything, Paul is hopeful. 
Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul's focus is not on where they are. Paul's focus is on the day of Christ. When Jesus Christ returns, I may be proud that I may, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Oh, Paul was a hopeful man. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a hopeful people. He didn't want them. He didn't want to show up one day and and think that all of his work was in vain. No, he wanted to see progression in the life of the church in Philippi. He wanted to see them as a church who was standing firm in godliness and showcasing godliness, standing firm in how in their position of the word of God. He wanted them to have this, this, this hope for the future. That was a life that is worthy of the gospel. That is a life that has been saved and a life that is standing out. It's in what it reflects. But notice where Paul goes next in verse 17 and 18. Because standing out, when it comes to a life that has been saved, is not just in how we, what we reflect, but it is in what we pursue. And look at what Paul is trying to pursue here in the church, or to the church as he's communicating this. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, listen, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Are you pursuing joy? That's what he's saying. You reflect godliness, you reflect righteousness, church, and you pursue joy. Because there is incredible joy in the Christian life. Can I get someone to say amen this morning? Joy in the Christian life. Y'all excited about knowing Jesus? (laughs) Absolutely. There is an incredible joy in the Christian life. Notice what Paul says. He uses Old Testament language here in this verse, in verse 17. And he's referring to the Old Testament. This is how Paul saw his ministry. This is how Paul saw his life. He saw it as a drink offering. This is Old Testament language. We get this, of course, from Numbers chapter 28, verse 7. Look at this verse. It's, it's drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. He's using this language from way back in Numbers The drink offering, something that was common. He would take wine and pour it out on the altar or ground with a grain offering and an animal sacrifice. It was the picture of this. To understand the Old Testament image is to understand what Paul is saying here to this audience. It was a picture of a life that was poured out. It was a picture of a life that was offered for the sake of following God. Now look at what he says in verse 17. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of whose faith? Your faith, Philippians. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry, his life of running, of working, of laboring, of walking into this town and beginning to share the gospel, reasoning there in the synagogue, being rejected by so many, beaten to, the, to almost the brink of death. He took his worst beating in Philippi, if you look back at, in the book of Acts. All of it now in prison writing to this church, this church that is young, that is vibrant, that is trying to live the Christian life. They're struggling a little bit along the way like we all do, but they're living the Christian life. The gospel is implanted into their life and it's transforming them and this church is growing. Oh, it's filled with a Philippian jailer. It's filled with a, a young girl who's been, you know, the, 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 the possession of her life has been re, re, removed. Oh, Lydia there in Philippi is full of these kinds of people, not the same type of people. People, but a group of complex individuals. And, and, and he's writing to them, and he's thinking about his life, he's thinking about their ministry, he's thinking about their faith, and it brings him joy. 
From a distance, he preaches into their life. He speaks into their life. He encourages them. He's discipled them. He's prayed for them. He's done all of these things. And from a distance, he sees them taking those steps and walking by faith. And it brings and it floods his heart with joy. His joy was fed by the service of the Philippians' faith. That serving, I'm sorry, that, that service was an offering to God. We are to offer ourselves to God as well. Think about Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We know these two verses. But after 11 verse chapters of the book of Romans, of all that we know to be true about what God has done, he says this. Paul says this to us. God says this to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he comes back on verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, we're to have joy as well. Our service to the Lord is to be filled with joy. What attitude do you bring? What attitude do you bring? Is it a joyful attitude? Do you bring to serving the Lord? Our joy will be fed by our self-sacrificing attitude in following Jesus. Have you ever been around someone who serves and it's just become a job, but it's not a ministry? someone who is not joyful, but they just want to serve because they think they're needed, but they're not doing it for the joy of the Lord. We're to be joyful people. We're to be motivated to serve and proclaim this joy to others. That's how we stand out. A life that has been saved is a life that stands out what it reflects, godliness, but also what it pursues, and that is joy. It pursues joy. You know, there's a story I read a few years ago and came to mind this week. It's really a funny story. Not really a funny story, but it's a really hopeless story. Let me say it that way. I went the entire extreme on that one, didn't I? It has to do with Mars. There was a Dutch company in 2013, 10 years ago, they asked for volunteers to go to Mars. It was a one-way trip, and they were going to get volunteers of people that would just be committed to go to Mars, one-way trip, they would never come back. You know how many applications they received? 200,000 people. A one-way trip to Mars? 200,000 people? But here's what the company said. The red planet has come to symbolize more than simply space exploration. Here's what they said. This was the selling feature. It's a hope for the future of humanity. You know what the world's chasing? It's chasing hopeless dreams like Mars. It's chasing a, a hopeless place to where maybe if I can just do enough things, I can get my life the right way, or I can find hope, or I can find joy. But it's a false hope for the future. What are you known for? That's the question. Are, are you known for someone who is angry and complaining and grumbling? Are you known, and are we known to be someone who is 
fearful and people are afraid to be around or are you known to be a person of joy? Are you known to be hopeful? Are you known to be truthful? That's what God wants. That is living out the gospel in your life. That's a life that is saved and that's a life that's standing out. Because Jesus once said this to us in Matthew chapter five, he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Check this out. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to be. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who is hopeful. I want to be a person who is joyful. I want to be a person who is truthful. That's what I want to be known for. And if we collectively are that way and striving towards that end and praying towards that end, oh, God can work with that. We will shine like stars in this community. We will shine like stars in this county. We will shine like stars and God will put his hand of favor upon that. And you watch the people who are saved. You watch the people who are transformed. You watch the people who find hope in a hopeless world who find joy in a joyless world, who find truth in a world that is constantly feeding them untruth and lies. That's what I want to be known for. The question for many of you this morning, and some of us this morning, is, is that light in your life? Because the light of Jesus who's poured into our life transforms us and changes us. But I know that in a room like this, that not all of us have given our life to him. But he loves you. And he wants that personal relationship with you. Jesus once said this in John chapter 8. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, God is perfect. There is no sin in him. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. And at the same time, we look around ourselves and we look around our world and we see brokenness, nothing but brokenness. And we see a world where we try to fix ourselves. We try to mend ourselves. We try to make ourselves right. But the more that we try to make ourselves right, the worse we get. You ever notice that? Try to fix my marriage. I try to fix me. I don't want anybody else to know the struggles that I'm going through because I'm trying to fix me because I'm trying to save face and I don't want to embarrass myself for the things that I'm struggling with in my personal life. But the more that I try to fix myself, the less I can, the more that I realize I can't. Because I'm a sinner and because I'm broken, I can't be in the presence of a holy God. It doesn't matter how good I am on this earth. And therein lies the dilemma. Yet God loved us. And he saw you in the state that you were in. He saw you living in the darkness of this world. And he stepped into this world to save you and to save me. And he provides the solution to our problem, and that is Jesus himself. Perfect Lamb of God. He died the death that I deserve on the cross. He was buried, but he rose from the dead. Here is his promise to you and I this morning. That if I agree that I'm a sinner, and I acknowledge that, 
and I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and I allow him to come into my life and save me, you know what he'll do? He'll save you. Your sins will be forgiven. That hope and that joy, that truth will be flooding into your life. That seed that God promises will be implanted into your life. And your life will change. Your life will change. He doesn't promise you money, he doesn't promise you stuff, but what he does promise you is life. And so I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Invite our worship team to come forward. They're gonna lead us in a song. Listen, as a church, let's collectively be a people who are committing ourselves to being hopeful, to being joyful, to being truthful. Let's stand out. Let's showcase the gospel. I'm gonna be here at the front. If you wanna come and just pray here at the front, pray for someone, pray for yourself. Maybe you just wanna give your heart over to the Lord. Once again, recommit yourself, maybe recommit your week to the Lord. You come forward, sit down here on the front row and pray. Kneel here at the front and pray. You you can come to me or there's others here that are willing to pray for you and come forward and pray with you. You come and pray, church. As a follower of Jesus, you come. If God's speaking to you about decisions that you need to make, maybe it is giving your life to Jesus Christ, you come. If God is speaking to you about following through with believer's baptism, because that's what he wants, you come. If he's speaking to you about joining Central, listen, you need to be tethered to a local church, not floating out there. You need to be tethered to a local church in your life. So God speaks to you, he wants you to come, he wants you to join, he wants you to be a part of a local church. What is God saying to you this morning? I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna stand and sing and we're gonna worship the Lord today and we're going to respond to whatever he says. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. We pray for your hand to be upon us now. We know that your Holy Spirit is here. We know that your Holy Spirit is working in us. Make us into a people that are a gospel people, a people that are filled with your Holy Spirit, a people who stand out. Make us a people who pursue joy reflect righteousness. God, that's who we want to be. That's who you've made us to be. So will we want to be worthy of the gospel? We want to be worthy of it. We love you, Lord. We pray that your hand would be upon us now. Give us courage to respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and let's sing this song. Let's worship. And you have the courage to come if the Lord leads you. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Well, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? well Jesus is calling. Father's arms are open wide for 
behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, 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 oh. come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious love of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. Can be seated. Hey, listen, before we leave today, a couple things. Um, want to prepare your tithes and your offerings. If you want to give here in person, you can give. Uh, we want to be faithful to give um, our tithes and, of course, our offerings. You can drop them off in the boxes as you leave today. You can also go online and give through our website, or you can drop it off at the church office as well. Um, we want to be faithful to give faithfully, and um, we're going to be talking about a couple offerings here in the month of December that are very important that we want to give over and above our normal tithing. So we want to be a generous people, and you are so generous as a church. It's amazing. So um, let's continue to give faithfully, and we're going to pray over that in just a moment. But a couple quick announcements for us this morning. I just want to uh, introduce to you a, a specific um, ministry that we're starting today. We're kicking off today. We're calling it Mission Creekside. I think part of my, one of my hearts really is to really impact our school district here in Livingston in particular. I'd love to impact all the districts around us, but we've 
are adopting Creekside Elementary this year, and uh, we have other elementary schools in our city that I would love to have deep inroads into, and we have a lot of you who are teachers and all over. But with Creekside Elementary, we have partnered with them this year for a specific project. We have some families that are in need, and they have some children that are at that school, um, and we want to provide gifts for not just those children, but the, the students or the children in that particular family. So when you leave here today, there's a table off to your right when you're leaving off to your right, and you can go there and you can pick up specific items for those children um, with all the details out there. So let's be, uh, let's love on our town, let's love on our, uh, on this particular elementary school just in a very tangible way, and we're going to do that in the name of Jesus. Um, so that is one ministry project you can be a part of. And then also two events coming up. Of course, we have our Christmas night of worship, December 13th. We've been talking about that already. Um, one caveat I'm going to share with you, we're going to have a street party after that event. You know what a street party is? We're closing the street right here in town, and uh, so we've already pulled the permits for that. What we're going to do is we're going to have some fire pits out there as soon as the service is over. We're going to have s'mores out there. We've got some hot dogs. We're going to have music out there, and we're going to... uh, we're going to have a good time out there right after the service on that Wednesday night, okay? So you can stay as long as you want, or if you need to scoot out, feel free to do so, but it'll be right at the end of that service on December the 13th, um, and we're going to have a good time doing that right after that 6 o'clock event. Our choir, band, worship team, all of our children's choirs will be a part of that event, so please make plans to come to that event, okay? Um, the other thing I want to mention is next Sunday we kick off Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon Christmas offering is coming up, and that starts next weekend. Our goal this year is $22,000, but we're going to blow that out of the water because you have been so faithful the last two years. Uh, the, the two years that I've been here with you, you've set the largest missions giving offering to that offering in the history of our church. And so we had, a, you know, the first year I was here, we, our goal was 22000 but you gave like 58000 So praise God for that. Last year was like 30 thousand. So praise God for that. Listen, let's be faithful. Let's give. Um, part of, our, of course, our mission strategy here is, is just as the IMB is, to pray as we do regularly, um, to give, uh, to go, and um, excited about what God's going to do in our church in the, in the coming months and years as we think about that together, and then sending. Um, we want to be a faithful church. I pray that God would send people out of our church, right, to be part of church plants, to be serve overseas. We pray for that, and we have done that in the history of this church, um, and we want to do that again, okay? So let's be faithful with that. That starts next weekend, and uh, I'll share more about that next Sunday morning, okay? Listen, Don't uh, forget to give today, and we want to give our tithes and our offerings. As you leave, you can give online, however God leads you to do that and what's most convenient for you, okay? Let's let's stand, let's have a quick word of prayer, and let's pray over this offering as we give it to the Lord, and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the service. We are thankful, Lord, for your word. We've been able to sing and pray and hear and respond to As we leave here today, we go into our Bible study classes to grow, deepen our relationship with each other, with you. Lord, we also leave and we enter our mission field. So we pray that, Lord, you would use us to stand out this week, to shine as stars, to shine as lights wherever you send us. Lead us to people who need Jesus, Lord, and give us the courage to talk to them about you. For, Lord, you have the hope that sets men free. Lord, we give to you these tithes and these offerings. 
We just pray that you would, Lord, multiply them. Meet our needs as a church. Multiply them. Meet our needs and our desires, Lord, the things we're praying for to be able to fund the things we're doing locally, but also around the world. Lord, use us, leverage what you've given to us to be a blessing, Lord, to our community and our church through ministry and beyond. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would go with us now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, see.